the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder, pastor of North Shore Vineyard. Today on the podcast we have audio from our Sunday service on August 8th. And this begins a series where we're going to be looking into prayer. Today's message is called, Who is Your Enemy? We're going to kind of be looking at the dynamics of spiritual warfare and prayer. Also, just keep in mind, this week we are going to have, uh, on our daily devotionals, we started this last week, I've started putting up daily devotionals that are specifically geared around scriptures that talk about prayer. So as we're covering prayer on the weekend, we're also going to have some devotionals set up to to help folks uh, encounter God through prayer and the scriptures. So I think you might find that helpful. You can find that at northshorevineyard.org. All right, let's go to the talk. Thanks for listening. I, I, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that We're going to be looking into the subject of prayer. And I got to tell you, prayer to me in the Christian life is like going to the gym. Um, I know I've heard people say that once you kind of get the habit of going to the gym, it will, uh, you know, you'll just wake up ready to go to the gym. And that's never been my experience. You know, I mean, I've been going to the gym for, uh, you know, five or six years now. And I can still tell you, Every morning, I don't feel like it. I, I just like, I, I know in my mind that I'm a better person when I go to the gym. I know that I feel better. I know that it spills over into other parts of my life. But it's just like hard getting motivated. Unless you got somebody like Judy, you know, who's, Judy's like could be a personal coach, uh, trainer. Uh, but that's kind of the way prayer is for me. I know, I know when I'm praying, I know when I'm setting aside time to be with God, I know I'm a better person. It spills over into my day. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm happier. Jesus is at the center. And, and, you know, life is much better. I'm a happier person. You know, Dina tells me sometimes, <laughs> she's like, you need to go work out. You, you just, not, not because she's commenting on my physique, but she can tell sometimes I get a little cranky. And you, you just need to go, <laughs> go run. Go, she tells the kids the same things. So go run around the house. But, um, so, we're going to look at this, this area because I, I think for most Christians, I think prayer is just a, it's, it's a hard thing. It's a weird thing. You know, you're, you're, you know, we're talking with Tevia and, you know, she said before, she's like, you yeah, know, it's kind of weird praying to somebody you don't even see. You know, I love the honesty of kids because, you know, a lot of adults in church won't say stuff like that, you know. But, yeah, you know, it's weird. Prayer is strange. But it's absolutely crucial to the life of a thriving Christian. And, and one, one reminder I'm going to say, if, you, if you're, this is your first time here, we've been doing this thing we started two weeks ago called Pick Six. Has, has anybody been praying for six people during the week? Okay, I'm not going to beat you down uh, if, if you haven't been. But the idea, I, I told everybody in here, let's write down six people that you know that need to encounter Jesus in the next and we're going to pray for them for the next six to eight weeks. We're going to spend every day, just cut off a little time. You don't have to spend like an hour praying for each person. But just spend a few minutes lifting them up in prayer. And so I think you're going to find that this message is, is, is even helpful in that, uh, in that regard. So before we get into some of the mechanics of prayer, I, I want to kind of talk about spiritual warfare. Anybody ever heard that term before? 
That's, that's a term that I, I know when I hear the word spiritual warfare, it, it, it's kind of a freaky term because I've, I've seen in, in my years as a Christian, I've seen kind of all kinds of different things under that heading and some of them kind of freaked me out. <laughs> Anybody else? Okay, good. Not alone. Sometimes I feel alone up here. But uh, <laughs> spiritual warfare is simply the idea that there is a war going on around us. You know, something like 85 to 90% of Americans believe there is a God. Now, how they define God is, is kind of, you know, up in the air. But most people believe in God. You know, less than half of Americans believe in a devil. Less than half of Americans, you know, the majority of them believe in God, but, but we don't believe there's an enemy. I put a little quote in, in your outline there um, because I'm back on my Lord of the Rings quotes again. Um, there's a, a, in Lord of the Rings, the two towers, there's a scene where there's this king named Theoden. And uh, Theoden's realm has been kind of untouched by war, but war is kind of on the horizon. And he says, uh, you know, he's kind of like, let me take all my people and we're going to go hide out of this, this stronghold called Helm's Deep. And so he goes, uh, I put the quote there, he says, I will not risk open war. And Aragorn, one of the other characters, says, open war is upon you whether you would risk it or not. You know, you can buy into this idea that there's no, there's no, no enemy. Uh, you're not going to engage the enemy. But whether you would risk it or not, you're in it. So, number one... Understand that, that whether you believe in spiritual warfare or not, or, or whether you want to participate in it, you are in it. <laughs> so from that point, I, I want us to kind of look at things. I find that there's two kind of uh, bad things that people get drawn into on the subject of spiritual warfare. Uh, number one is kind of an obsession with the devil. I've, I've come across a lot of Christians over the years who, like, man, any bad thing that happens in their life is the devil. You know, somebody pulls in front of you and takes your parking place at Rouse's, and you're like, oh, the devil is out to get me. Or, or you know, uh, uh, you, you, you bounce a check or, or whatever. And, uh, <laughs> and so it, it becomes kind of an obsession with the devil. I've seen some Christians that take this to, to crazy extremes, and it's like, dude, it's like you, you almost like, think that they're more worshiping the devil than they are God because they're paying so much attention to him. They give him credit for everything, and he probably loves that. Like, oh, thanks. I didn't do that, but uh, I'll take the credit. Uh, you know, I find sometimes we, we bump into things, and, and, and it, it spikes our awareness a bit. My, my son Ezra, when I was, just got out of the hospital the other day, we've lived in Abita Springs all this time, and he's never had any run-ins with any creatures or anything bad happened but the other day he was running and he ran by a yellow jacket hive have y'all seen these things before they're in the ground it was just a little hole like this big it just looked like a hole in the middle of some leaves and man these things came out with a vengeance and he was he was like screaming so loud he couldn't even cry like it was beyond tears he was in so much pain and he runs in and Dina's gets him to take off his shirt well there's another yellow jacket they found on the shirt so Dina's throwing shoes and it's like crazy you know and I finally killed the yellow jacket and you know when, when everything was said and done he was stung like nine times had, had a st- stung on his face the back of his head his arms his chest and uh it, it was bad I mean we were 
he was kicking back the Benadryl, and you know we were trying to put everything we could on him to to solve that. But what I noticed is, you know, yesterday I I needed Ezra to help me with some things outside, and Ezra goes outside, and, and the whole time he's like, "You don't think there's any yellow jackets in that that azalea bush right there?" No, no, you're okay. Dina asked him to go throw some stuff out in the trash. Well, he's like, Daddy, could you come with me to trash? I've seen bees out there before. I'm like, it's okay. Ezra's become obsessed with, with yellow jackets now because he's open to the reality. Yellow jackets weren't on his radar. And I can tell you there have been a few times in my spiritual walk where I've encountered evil, spiritual evil before. And sometimes when you encounter it, you're like, like, you're like wow, I didn't, I didn't know this stuff was, uh, you know, it kind of rips you out of normal rationalistic things. And, 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 and it's easy to, to kind of have that reaction like, like Ezra had where he's like, oh, man, you know, devil's everywhere. Well, I think this is one of the things that, that the enemy wants to get us into is an obsession with him. The other side, which I think is more common in America, is just, you know, pure uh, rationalism. You, ever, you find that we live in a world that is just dominated by rational. Everything is, is completely explainable. You know, everything can be deduced by the scientific method. And that's been the way, you know, since the Enlightenment that, that, that's dominated our thinking. That the only stuff that exists are things that we can verify, you know, in, in a tangible way. Uh, C.S. Lewis, if you ever get a chance to read, has anybody ever read Screwtape Letters before? Uh, it's a great book. But, but Screwtape Letters, it's a, it's a fictional account that C.S. Lewis uh, wrote from like an elder demon mentoring a younger demon on how to harass a human. And so it's, it's, it's letters written back and forth. If he was writing it nowadays, it would be emails or text messages. But, but uh, the Uncle Screwtape, that's right. Yeah, he, he's mentoring Wormwood. And, and one thing that he makes, he, he says that if you can take a human to either one of these extremes, you've won. Actually, if you can get a human in, in rationalistic thinking, thinking there's no such thing as an enemy out there, that's even better than getting, to be, getting him to be obsessed with it. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. So I want to... I, I think either one of those things, it really draws us into the wrong thing. So what I'm going to kind of look at today is, is perhaps, I, I think, in my opinion, a little bit more healthy approach to spiritual warfare. So the first thing I want us to look at is, who is our enemy? Ephesians 6, 12 says, Our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh. What does blood and flesh mean? Like people, okay? Our... our, our <laughs> Our war is not against people, all right? Say that, amen. We're not here to fight people, okay? That's key, okay? A lot of Christians miss that. Our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic power of the present darkness, of this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Paul is saying, we're not here to fight people, it may look like people are your enemy, but you know what? Obama's not your enemy. Osama's not your enemy. Your wife is not your enemy. Your mother-in-law is not your enemy. <laughs> so that's a revelation for some of you. <laughs> Our enemy 
is the forces of spiritual darkness. And, and, and they, they entrench themselves in places of power. We can actually see that at, if you look in, at various places in the Bible, that there's actually strongholds of darkness over areas. Paul actually goes on in, in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4, he says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's imi- who is the image of God. Our enemy blinds people to the truth. How many of you ever lived ignorant of God in your life? You were just blind to it. You ever, I mean, I, I think everybody. You live in a way that, that you're just blind to the reality of God. Well, our enemy, the enemy of mankind, the enemy of God, wants to keep us darkened. And this power is entrenched in places. And, and Paul is saying, that's what our war is really against. That's our enemy. Our enemy is not people. I want to use a modern parable this morning. Has everybody in here seen Star Wars before? I think Star Wars offers a, a, a brilliant picture of, of what the true enemy really is. Okay, first we have Luke Skywalker. <laughs> Not one of his most intense looking pictures, but this is the hero. The first Star Wars, I remember seeing it back in like 1978. My dad busted me out of school to see it. That's like like the coolest. Uh, And that became a tradition for every Star Wars movie. He busted me out of school. Um, But Luke Skywalker, we're introduced in the first of the Star Wars movies. He's the protagonist. He's the hero. But for every hero, you got to have an antagonist. And that's the evil Lord Vader. I'm your father, Luke. Well, in the first Star Wars movie, it, it just looks like a simple battle between good and evil. You've got, you know, Luke Skywalker, and he's fighting Darth Vader. But in The Empire Strikes Back, what do we find out about Darth Vader? He's actually Luke's father. All of a sudden, the story twists. And this throws Luke into this really, you know, kind of crazy place a lot of tension in his life because now his enemy the the guy he's been fighting against he finds that it's his actual father he actually finds that his father wasn't always like this his father at one time had been just like him a jedi he'd actually been talented and gifted but somewhere along the way he let ambition and pride and jealousy and anger and hate and bitterness take root and so by the over a period of years darkness gets in his heart and he becomes something a shadow of what he had once been he becomes darth vader so luke decides in in the return of the jedi he decides i'm going to go i know there's goodness still in my father's heart i know no matter how evil he appears i know there's a shred of goodness somewhere in the core of his being i'm going to go find him and and bring him back to to the light and so luke goes to this uh in the uh, return of the jedi he goes to this spaceship where darth vader is to, to see if he can rescue him well darth vader wants to fight him and and we find in the midst of uh the return of the jedi we're introduced to the real evil and it's this guy named palpatine dude needs a toothbrush doesn't he some wrinkle cream he kind of messed up this guy we find out is the real evil behind darth vader see darth vader 
looked like evil, but really this guy is the guy who had corrupted Vader. I mean, over the years. He's the power. He's the real evil, the real enemy behind the enemy that Luke's going to get, you know, in, in his father. Well, we find at the end of the movie, Luke is able to turn his father back to the, to the light side of things, uh, the sunny side of the force, and this guy's dealt with. Nobody wants to watch this slide anymore, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> it's creeping you out. I, 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 I say the story of Star Wars because I believe that that's very much a picture of what happens in spiritual warfare in your lives, in my life. There's a person that seems to be your enemy right in front of your face. Really, this person, and this person may be evil. But I think as Christians, we always got to believe that there's something of the image of God in there. <laughs> there's something of the image of God in that person, no matter how evil they look. Really, though, no matter how much they oppose us and are an enemy to us, we got to realize we are not to fight people. We are to fight for people. We're not to fight people as Christians. We're, we're not called to fight humans. We're called to fight for humans. To see them delivered. To see them set free. To see them come to the light of truth. Jesus Christ. Jesus in Matthew 5, 43, 47, or 48 here, He says, uh, you have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rains on the righteous and unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? You know, this is kind of like saying, look at gangbangers out in L.A. You may have people that do drive-by shootings, that sell drugs for a living. Very violent people. But these gang members, they love each other, don't they? They got each other's back. I mean, some of the most horrible people you can think of in society, they can love each other. Jesus is saying, loving people that love you, anybody can do that. That takes nothing. He says what shows that you are a child of God is when you kick it up a notch, when you actually love your enemies. You know, the first time that I ever had to preach a message on this passage was last year. We, were just, we had just decided we were going to plant a church on the North Shore called North Shore Vineyard. And we just put our condo up on the market. And all of a sudden, all hell began to break loose with our neighbors in our condo. We were part of a, a small condo association of about eight condos. And, uh, you know, there, we, we just had some run-ins. And, like, there was this situation with our mailboxes. I kind of come from a background that says that you shouldn't park in front of a mailbox because you should allow for the post guy to get there. That's the way that I think of things. But we had one of our neighbors who didn't feel the same way. There could be parking places all over the place, and she'd park right in front of the mailbox, which, you know, I didn't like, but I, I lived with it until one day I got one of those notices in my mailbox that said, we couldn't deliver your mail because someone was obstructing it. So being the good Christian that I am, I came home one day and I saw the 
male guy was struggling to, to get around her car and stuff. And I was like, don't worry, I got this. And, and I went over and knocked on her door. And I was like, hey, you know, could, could you mind? There's parking places everywhere. Could you just, and, and you know, well, about 8 o'clock that evening, I was getting into an episode of Lost. And her husband, who's about 6'8", <laughs> twice my size, of whom I looked like a hobbit next to, <laughs> he comes over, he's like, why do you want to talk to my wife that way? <laughs> well, that was the first run-in. Within a week or two, Dina calls me one day saying, I almost like got in a fist fight with this lady. <laughs> and it was just one thing after another. Well, that, it's under that context that they give me this passage at the Kenner Vineyard. So it's your turn to preach in six weeks. Here's, here's what you need to preach on. Love your enemies. I'm like, can I get another, can I get something about just loving God? I like the love God scriptures. Those are fun. Love God. Let me do that one. And I said, no, no you're going to do the love your enemies. So one night in the midst of this, me and Dina decided that we would actually practice the words of Jesus. And uh, it was not our, our uh, initial inclination by any means, but we decided, hey, Jesus said it. It's in the Bible. We're going to give it a try. And so one night we decided to sit down and we began praying for our neighbors. You know, within about five or ten minutes, things completely changed. Not with our neighbors. Things began to change with us. We, we, all of a sudden, Jesus began to be at the center, God's kingdom. All of a sudden, we began to, to sense God's love for these people that seemed to be our enemies. All of a sudden, our hearts began to soften. All of a sudden, we began to see things from God's perspective. It changed. So we began praying for Him. The big thing was we changed, but we actually got to see God change in the midst of that. God changed their hearts a bit. It went from being this horribly antagonistic situation to, it wasn't perfect by any means, but we saw God show up. We actually began to pray for their marriage, to pray for their kids, to pray that God would bless them. Now, we weren't there initially. Initially, it's kind of like, God, help me to even want to pray something nice for these people. You know, the disciples, one time they said, you know, Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. You know, we believe, but sometimes praying for your enemies got to start there. Because you're not going to feel warm, fuzzy feelings for people that are opposing you, that are doing you wrong, that are slandering you, that are hurting you. You're not going to feel more warm fuzzies for them. But you can at least start with God. Help me. Help me to begin to pray blessings for these people. The trap, perhaps the greatest of the traps we fall into in our Christian life, is that we fail to distinguish the real enemy of our lives. And then from there we fight with the weapons of this world. And that's one of the biggest things. I think if Satan... Anything that brings, there's nothing that brings him more joy than when he can see Christians attacking other humans, other Christians, taking out weapons <laughs> and using them to beat other people down. 
We can see this even with Peter's uh, with, with Jesus' own disciples. Remember, the night before Jesus goes to the cross, he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and a mob comes to, to, to arrest him and take him away. What does Peter do? Peter pulls out a sword, and he cuts one of the servant's ears off. What does Jesus do? Jesus goes and grabs us the ear, sticks it out back on the guy's head, and he's like, Peter, dude, you don't need to defend God. <laughs> God's pretty good at taking care of himself. Don't you know, Peter, if I wanted to, in a moment, I could call legions of angels to just obliterate this place, wipe it off the map. I don't need you picking up your sword, Peter. There's another story where James and John... Uh, Jesus is getting ready to head towards Jerusalem. But to get there, he's got to go through Samaria. So he sends some disciples out ahead of him. And these disciples are going to check the area out. And they find that these Samaritans didn't want to have Jesus show up. They were not hospitable to him. And so James and John say, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven on these guys? Burn them up? And what's Jesus do? He rebukes them. It's like, dude, I'm not about burning up people. I'm not about cutting people's ears off. I'm here to rescue people. I'm here to save the world. I'm actually here for people. People are not the enemy. See, Jesus shows us the way to live this stuff. And what's he show us? I think the most amazing picture, <laughs> it just floors me, is Jesus hanging on the cross, and what does he pray? God, smite these people down. Send plagues on them. Get them back for what they've done to me. No, he prays, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. They don't even get it. Jesus has been spit on, beaten, paraded in front of a mock trial, suffering excruciating pain and what he does with his last breath is say father forgive them they don't even get it they don't even know what they're doing you know what that shows me jesus knew who the real enemy the real enemy was his real enemy wasn't rome it wasn't the jews it wasn't even the pharisees his real enemy was satan There's another picture of this, uh, Paul and Silas in, in prison uh, in Acts 16. I don't have it up here on the screen because it's a lot of stuff. But Acts 16, verse 25 through 34, Paul and Silas are doing their ministry, traveling around, telling people about Jesus, and uh, they get thrown in jail because they actually cast a demon out of some girl, and she lost her fortune-telling powers. and So they get cast in jail because the guy who was using this girl to tell fortunes she uh he was out of business now he couldn't make any money so paul and silas are thrown in jail they were roman citizens but they were not read their rights they were not given due process that you would have got under roman law they were just thrown in this dungeon and so uh verse 25 of Acts 16 says about midnight paul and silas were praying and singing hymns to god and the other prisoners were listening to them. The other prisoners were listening. They were like, this is crazy. These guys are singing Amazing Grace in this pitch black cell in the middle of the night. What, the, what do they have to be singing about? But they're singing and they're praying. 
And suddenly there was a violent earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword out and was about to kill himself because he thought that the prisoners had escaped. The, the prison guards thinking, dude, I'm, I am going, I'm, I'm going to die as soon as my, you know, my uh, boss finds this out. So I'm going to go ahead and just kill myself. And, but Paul shouted out, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Then the jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and said, sir, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. In that hour of night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Why do I share this story with you? Because I just want you to kind of imagine that someday here in Covington, you're pulled over by the Covington police and you're thrown in jail without reading your Miranda rights uh, you got somebody who falsely accuses you you weren't breaking the law or anything you're just thrown in and instead of getting your call to your lawyer they just they put you in isolation they put you in a dark room how would you take that that's basically what happened to Paul and Silas and I think that the normal tendency of humans is if an earthquake happened and all of a sudden you're free dude let's get out of here (laughs) but Paul and Silas because they knew who the real enemy was they knew that the judicial system was not their enemy they knew that their jailer was not their enemy and so what did they do in the midst of that situation when they get freed they use it as an opportunity to bring freedom When they get freed from their prison, they don't use it as an opportunity like, oh, God loves me, I'm out of here. They use it as an opportunity to actually free somebody else. They knew who the real enemy was. Those are a couple of instances from the Bible, but I want to close with with another story that just absolutely floored me. Uh, A true story that happened in New Orleans back in the late 60s, when the schools had been desegregated in New Orleans, the first girl who was going to head to uh, 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 the the formerly segregated schools was a girl by the name of Ruby Bridges. It's a picture of her right there. And uh, she she was going to go into a school that was formerly just a white school. And the first day of school comes, I, th- I believe she was in first grade, and I-, I don't know about you, when I took Tevia to school for her first day of school, when Dina and I, you know, it was the first day of school for Tevia, that was scary. You know, the first time, you know, you, you raise this child, and, and you've, you've you spent all this time with them, and now you're, you're entrusting this, this little child to, to somebody else's care, and as a parent, you're, you know, some of y'all are doing that for the first time tomorrow, right? School starts tomorrow, and you're thinking, ah, I don't know how we can entrust our, our beautiful child to these other people. And you think thoughts of, what if, what if my daughter doesn't make any friends? What if she gets a mean teacher? What if she forgets her lunch? Doesn't eat. 
These are the kind of things that we think, right? Imagine what Ruby Bridges' parents must have thought. They're not sending their daughter into a a friendly environment. They're sending their daughter into a war zone. (laughs) When Ruby Bridges walked to school that first day, she was escorted by no less than four U.S. Marshals. And as she walked, as she gets up to school, you could hardly see the school for the crowds of people. And they were yelling things that I can't say in church on a Sunday morning. They were wishing that she would leave. They were wishing that she would die. They were saying the most awful things to her. She walks through them and she finally comes into her class. And the teacher said, Ruby, you pick any desk that you want in here. Why did she say that? Because all the desks were open. None of the other white children came to school. They were all outside protesting. One day, Ruby's teacher was looking out the window uh, for Ruby to show up, and she noticed that, that Ruby looked like she was talking to someone in the crowd. And so when Ruby came in, she said, Ruby, who were you talking to out there? She said, I wasn't talking to anyone. I was praying. And Ruby began to say, to tell the teacher, she said, every, every day I normally pray when I get about a block from the school, but I forgot that day, so I was having to pray when I got up to the school. You know what she was praying for those people? This is her actual prayer. And I can hardly ever read it. Please, God, try to forgive those people. Because even if they say those bad things, they don't know what they're doing. So could you forgive them? just like you did those folks a long time ago when they said terrible things about you. Ow. Little first grader walking into a hate-filled environment. People who hate her guts and wish she was dead. And she walks up saying, God, can you forgive them? Forgive them like you forgave those people a long time ago. I want to be like Ruby when I grow up. You know, there's actually a psychologist at the uh, psychiatrist at the time by the name of Robert Coles, who was doing research on how children really respond to stressful situations. And he he decided he was going to study Ruby Bridges and, and, and figure out, because he figured if there was ever a child that's undergoing stress, that I can find out about how children deal with stress, it's Ruby Bridges. So he, he came down to New Orleans, and he met with Ruby's family, and he started interviewing them for any signs of stress. He said, is she sleeping all right? They said, yes. Well, how about her appetite? Yeah, is she eating okay? Yeah, she's, she's eating like normal. When he finally interviewed Ruby, he was shocked by the lack of any signs of stress. She seemed unshaken by all the hatred around her. When he asked her how she dealt with the mean things people said, she replied, I just pray for them. When he asked why, (laughs) she simply replied, because they need praying for. I just pray for them. Why? Because they need praying for, obviously. 
They need Jesus. I, I think they're good candidates for, for God. <laughs> I, I, I look at Ruby, and then I look at the American church. I find a lot of Christians who absolutely hate Obama. I find very few that actually pray for Obama. I find a lot of Christians who hate Islamic terrorists. I find very few Christians who pray for Islamic terrorists. I find Christians who just have contempt for their wife or their in-laws or their boss. I find very few that pray like Ruby Bridges does. Your boss is not your enemy. Your spouse is not your enemy. That guy next door to you is not your enemy. The president's not your enemy. Terrorists are not your enemy. Your enemy is Satan. The quicker you understand that, the more you will be effective for the kingdom of God. When we pray for these people on our sixth list, what are we praying? God, keep them from evil. Keep them from the darkness that blinds their minds to the truth. God, intervene. Let your kingdom come. Break into their world so that they can experience freedom. See, most of the time when we're pointing our finger at other people, we fail to see that when we were enemies of God, when we hated what God stood for, when we were spitting on God's name, he loved us, and he said, forgive him. Forgive Crispin. He doesn't know what he's doing. He does not get it. We've got to let this inform the way that we pray. I think so many times we are, we're praying against the wrong enemy, and we're praying the wrong kinds of prayers. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, Paul says, For though we live in the world... We do not wage war as the world does. Our war is not with guns. Our war is not with petitions. Our war is not with boycotting. Our war, we don't fight that way. The weapons we fight with, Paul says, are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take, every, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's what happens when we pray. When we realize who the real enemy is, when we pray things for God's perspective, when we bless those who curse us, when we do like Ruby Bridges does and say, God, forgive them just like you forgave people a long time ago. I may not get this, I may not understand, but God, I'm going to do my best to do what you say, Jesus, instead of what everything else in the world and, and the media is telling me to do. Why don't y'all stand and I'll close this with a word of prayer. I know some of you may want to leave this church if we're going to be that kind of church. <laughs> But get mad at Jesus. He's the one that said it. So <laughs> I don't like it any more than you do. I don't like praying for my enemies. I'm not real fond of it. But you know what? The more we do that, the more we get transformed into the image of God and the less we get transformed in, into the funkiness 
that our enemy wants to see. Father God, these are hard words that we hear today. God, we completely lack the ability to follow them in our own strength, God. We, we, we lack the motivation, the want to. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would empower us in our jobs, in our marriages. Lord, with, with every rough situation that we're facing with another person, God, that we could take some time this week to pray for those people. Lord, that we wouldn't be distracted by false enemies, God. But Lord, we'd be a light even to the very ones that are accusing us, that are standing against us, God. Lord, that we could demolish the arguments that stand up against you and the philosophies that exalt themselves against Christ. And God, I pray that, God, for the, the people that we are all praying for, God, that we, we ask you that, your truth would come in, that the blinders would be lifted, or that you would teach us how to pray. It's in Jesus' name that we, we pray these things. Amen.